when I was a kid, we used to, uh, we used to go to Shoney's a lot to eat. Um, it was one of our places to go. We used, uh, I used to love the buffet, personally. I mean, the salad bar was amazing. I don't know why they did this, but they had cold metal plates for the salad, specifically. Like, just weird. I've never seen that really many other places. Maybe I just don't go to salad bars enough. But they, they, the plates were like ice cold. And what I'd do is I'd go, I'd get like a, a little bit of lettuce to justify it being um, at the salad bar. And then I'd get, they had this little like cubed ham. You know what I'm talking about? And like I'd put the ham, on, like a lot of ham, like a disproportionate amount of ham to lettuce. And then I'd get the, uh, the egg. They always had egg, you know, like cold egg. and put that on there. And I used to love the cheese, the shredded cheddar that they had. And then I put that, I basically put an omelet on top of a couple pieces of lettuce. And I called it a salad, but it was great. Covered the thing in ranch and man, that was so good. That's only the start of it. Cause then you got the rest of the buffet. And I used to love going, cause the thing about a buffet is that it doesn't have to make sense. You know, like you don't need to have a meat, a starch and a vegetable. You don't need to at a buffet. At a buffet, anything goes. You can get whatever you want. Want to have a pizza and a taco and a steak and some shrimp and then like, you know, macaroni and cheese, go for it. It's a buffet. You can get whatever you want. That's the beautiful thing about it. And as a kid, man, I loved a buffet. Something that like I know now as an adult though, is that um, you can't eat a buffet every day. Like if you do, if you go to the buffet every day, whether it's Shoney's or Golden Corral or any buffet really, like you're not gonna feel very good <laughs> um, after you eat. And I know what you're thinking, right? Like, why are you talking about buffets today? Well, great question. I'm glad you asked. Um, is that we know that we live in a pretty messed up world. I'm not talking about buffets. They're great. But the world around us, man, there's so much brokenness, so much pain, so much hurt, so much um, that we need to figure out how to deal with, like just at, our, at an individual level as, as human beings. And, and the point is that most people, I mean, most of us, most of you, most people are open to spiritual things. They're not a hard line uh, closed down to it. They're open to the idea of that there's spiritual things. It's just that most of us, most of us tend to treat it like a buffet. You know, I'll take a little bit of this practice over here and a little bit from over here. And ah, I think I like some mac and cheese. Let me put that on the plate too. But without any real thought to how it all fits together and if it's actually going to uh, be good for us in the long run. And the problem is that like, like I said, with the buffet, if you eat that every day, it's gonna, it's gonna kill you in the end. Um, contrast that with uh, the most amount of money I ever paid for a meal in my entire life. I went to this restaurant in Paris, we visited there, and, and it's a restaurant called Les Cinq, which is French. I think it means something like the five. I don't know. You can look it up, fact check me on it. But uh, is this restaurant like on the Champs Elysees in Paris, you know, beautiful setting, like Michelin star rated, really nice restaurant, hundreds of dollars for a lunch. But do it once, you know, if you can swing it. Do it once in your life. I mean, it's a great experience, but, but the thing with that meal is like, it was planned out from start to finish. I mean, five courses from beginning to end, everything fit together. Everything was planned out. Everything um, from the, the appetizer and the soup and the salad and the entree and the dessert and the after dessert and then the post after dessert, everything fit together and was designed to go together. See, that's a big difference when we think about in terms of how we eat. Now, you can't eat like five star or five course meals every day either. Uh, and so that's maybe where the analogy breaks down. The idea is, is like, is there something 
that is coherent, that is thought out, that makes sense, that, that fits together in a way that is helpful for us and can sustain us through the journey and the hardship and the trials of life. I happen to believe that the message of Jesus, the, the gospel as we call it, is that message. If you remember back in the very beginning of 2020, we spent a lot of time talking about this, that, uh, that the message that Jesus proclaimed is that the kingdom of God is at hand. The rule and reign and authority of God is available and accessible to you now as you live in a relationship with him. Well, the Apostle Paul takes that same idea and he extends it a bit further. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand and that king, Jesus, he died on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins in accordance with all of the Bible. It's coherent. It's thought out. It fits together. And that that king, Jesus, who died on a cross is raised to new life and he extends that same power to you through his presence in the Holy Spirit. That is the gospel. That is good news. The trouble is for many of us is that we have heard a version of the gospel that doesn't sound very good. (laughs) Or maybe it doesn't sound like good news, but if the good news that you've heard isn't good news, then guess what? It's not good news. Um, Talking about all that today because if we want to compare in just a very analogous sense, right? Don't get too serious on me, but if we want to compare in just a a very analogous way the gospel to like a five-course meal, it's rich, it's sustaining, it's fulfilling, it coheres together, Um, then Paul's letter to the Ephesians is like the menu. It just gives this really very nice, thorough overview from beginning to end of what it looks like when the kingdom has come, of what it looks like to see the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And so over the next few months, with everything going on with the pandemic, everything that's going on, you know, with um, the civil unrest in our country, everything that's going on with a, an election coming up, I just I feel like this is a good place for us to be, is to think about how we can understand the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven in the course of our daily life. Because, of course, that's how Jesus teaches his people to pray. That's what the kingdom is about. That's what the, the mission of the church is about, is to, to see the kingdom realized in the course of our daily lives. And so we're going to turn to Ephesians together. We're going to read through the first uh, 14 verses and talk about some context today. Uh, but just as we get going here, I'm just going to read the first two verses, and then we're going to stop and talk about something real quick. So here we are diving into Ephesians together. The Apostle Paul writes and says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And right there, we got to pause because it's so easy to, to, to blow right past that and say, huh, nice intro, dude, and just keep on with our lives. But, but what is Paul actually saying in that introduction? So a couple things, right? Is number one, he's saying he is Paul which is important. Uh, number two, that he is an apostle. He is, he is a, an ambassador from Christ Jesus. Now, keep in mind, Jesus and Christ, they're not like his just names, right? Jesus is his name. Christ is a title. Christ is his, his title. basically means like the anointed king. And so you can read that as like the anointed king Jesus sends me to you, the people of Ephesus, the holy ones in Ephesus, people who have believed in Jesus in this city of Ephesus. Now, I could ask you a question if you could tell me a lot about Ephesus. Um, and I'm guessing most of you probably haven't been there before. That's okay. We're going to spend a little bit of time talking about it because, you know, one of the struggles that I think a lot of us have, especially a lot of people who live, you know, in 2020, is we kind of take a step back and we say, yeah, but like, what, is, what does Paul know about what's going on in our world today? 
Like, what does he actually know about the challenges and the struggles that we face? I mean, he didn't have social media. He didn't have to deal with AI and TikTok. I mean, God help us. And all sorts of other things that, like, we don't, we, we just can't even imagine him thinking about. So, so what in the world could Paul possibly have to say to us today? And that's why I think history and context is so important. And so we talk a little bit about Ephesus. Ephesus, um, we're told, is the third largest city in the ancient world. Just behind the pretty well-known cities of Rome and Alexandria. It's situated in what's today modern-day Turkey. It was about 200,000 people. I mean, a massive city um, at that time. Uh, we're told that uh, it was a city that was pretty, pretty rife with ethnic, social, racial divisions and tensions. I mean, like a lot of ancient cities, um, where there was just a lot of division, a lot of turmoil, a lot of uh, different class distinctions made up of social divisions, economic divisions, things that didn't even may seem pretty innocuous to most people, especially people looking back. It doesn't seem like it'd be a big deal, but it's a big deal then. It's a very divided place to live. Um, and we're told that Paul brings the gospel there in about 52 AD. Um, that's what historians can kind of piece together. It's about 52 AD. He brings this message of Jesus and his kingdom there. He goes to the Jewish community there, which was a community that was already pretty marginalized, especially in, in, in parts of the Roman Empire outside of Jerusalem as a marginalized community. He brings this message of Jesus and then soon takes it out uh, to people who have never heard of Jesus before and starts to tell them about, uh, about his kingdom and to share that message that we talked about, that good news of the kingdom of God at hand and of a king who would die for you and then is raised to new life and extends that power to you as well. Um, we hear that in this time in Ephesus, there's pretty remarkable things happen. I mean, Paul is, uh, to say that he is like successful in one sense would seem like an understatement. I mean, he goes around and, and does like very Jesus-y kind of things, you know. He's, he's healing the sick. Um, he's casting out demons. He's just, he's doing some pretty remarkable things in the city. It, it gets so um, intense at a certain point uh, that at one time there's a group of people who abandon like their their old pagan worship practices, they gather together a bunch of scrolls of spells and other kind of weird rituals and incantations and they throw them in a pile and they burn them. It's valued uh, somewhere around the millions of dollars um, is what they estimate that it would be. Um, and in this place, right, like there's some amazing things happening and people's lives are being changed. Uh, it got so bad that the idol makers in the city and the people who made the little metal idols for, for folks to worship in pagan worship, they started to go out of business. Uh, eventually, because um, Paul was being so successful in, in helping to share people, share this message about Jesus. Um, there's a riot that happened as a result of it. I mean, like emptied the streets and, and they all gathered in this Ephesian amphitheater. It took about um, two hours for that riot to be quelled and to be calmed down. That's all just like in a couple years. I mean, that's a lot of stuff. In AD 54, the Ephesian proconsul at the time, this kind of the Roman governor of the area, he was the great-grandson of the former emperor Augustus. Um, he, this guy, the Ephesian proconsul, was killed, murdered actually, by the emperor Nero's mom. Um, so you get a little political intrigue in there too. Um, not to mention that in the midst of all this, uh, Paul is eventually put in prison. That's where he writes this letter from. And, uh, and all of this is set against the backdrop of one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. You see, in the city of Ephesus, there was this massive temple. It's a temple dedicated to the, to the goddess Artemis. Um, Artemis was a goddess who was just generally, I, I mean, just a general benefactor of the city. He was like the, the patron of the city. 
Um, among her many titles, and I mean, she's thought to, to specifically help people who were living in darkness, struggling with like demon possession, who were, um, who were ill. Um, and, and one of her many titles was the Queen of Heaven. And this, this temple was considered generally, I mean, one of the great buildings of the ancient world. I mean, it's up there, right? In the top seven with like the Parthenon in Athens and the, the pyramids in Egypt. This is, a, this is a big deal. And it's in this city that Paul is writing about some pretty remarkable things and sharing this message of the gospel. And so just if we take a step back and we look at it, um, we realize that Ephesus was a city that was filled with uh, massive political turbulence and unrest, significant social divisions, racial, um, uh, I mean, just racial unrest and racism and all sorts of issues that come with that. There was rioting. There was um, just massive unrest across the board. They would deal with uh, natural disasters. There were fault lines running all around Turkey, even to this day. So earthquakes and other issues like that, um, dealing with plagues and pandemics, like, cause guess what? They didn't have vaccines and they didn't have antibiotics. And so like, you know, you don't know what happens. So what in the world could Paul possibly know about some of the stuff that we're going through today, right? It turns out that maybe he knew a lot because it turns out um, that in so many ways, like though technology changes and though a lot of the particular and specific situations changed, the, the, the condition of human beings hasn't changed for thousands of years. And so Paul is speaking, sure, to this people, this church in Ephesus, but, but more than that, he's speaking to us today. He's telling us about how we can live a faithful life in the midst of so much uncertainty in a world um, that often doesn't reward faithfulness and that isn't really looking for the message of Jesus and isn't really celebrating it. And so we're going to go into the text today specifically. I think that context helps us and helps us to make sense of what Paul's getting at. Uh, So here we start. This is Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 3 through 14 and then talk about it a little bit. So Paul writes, And he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. These are the very words of God. Amen. And you're probably glad I stopped reading there. I could have kept going because guess what? Paul, for as much as he would have aced his theology exam, like gotta be honest, that's a little dense, right? Like, do <laughs> you ever read through something in the Bible and you're just like, man, what, what I just read? Like, Paul right there, that's, that's dense stuff. And it's even worse if you read it in the original language. You know why? That was one sentence. Can you believe that? Like, he gets like a D 
maybe an F, I don't know, for like his grammar, like a run-on sentence in that one. It's actually not uncommon in the ancient world, especially in ancient Greek, but it makes it hard to translate into English. Can we just all agree on that? And yet, Paul's got some really important truths. Even as dense as that is, maybe we just need to, to peel it back a little bit and consider what it is that he's actually, um, what he's actually saying there. And so I think at the very first, we need to realize that Paul is starting with prayer. He's starting this letter. He's, he, he's beginning in this message to these people in a, in a difficult time place. He's starting with prayer. Um, and and what, what he says is that at the very outset, he says that there is a king of heaven and earth. You remember that in this ancient city of Ephesus, there was a queen of the city. Who was the queen? The queen was Artemis. Artemis was lord over this city. It was generally accepted in that place. And yet Paul is saying something different, very interestingly, that whereas Artemis was regarded as the queen of heaven, Jesus is the king of heaven and earth, the king of the cosmos, he says. And that in this place, this King Jesus, the creator of the world, he's come to put the world back to order. He's come to set things back to rights. As Paul put it in verse 10, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And there he's doing something interesting. He's, he's referencing a psalm, one of the psalms of David. It's, as a matter of fact, the most quoted or alluded to verse from the Old Testament in the New Testament. It's psalm 110, uh, verses 1 and 2. It goes like this. It says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. If there is one message that Paul wants to get across to the people here at the very beginning, it's that no matter what is going on out there, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the King. He is the King of heaven and earth. And what he's doing is he's bringing heaven and earth together. I mean, that is the message is that heaven and earth are becoming one in the person and in the community of Jesus. Um, he, he's saying that no matter who it seems like is in charge, whether it's... Uh, whether it's Nero in Rome, whether it's whatever various proconsul is ruling at the time, or whether it's whatever pagan uh, temple happens to be in the city, says Jesus is king. Jesus reigns. And that is the, part of, it's the point of the good news, right? That the kingdom of God, the rule and reign and authority of God is at hand because, and that's good news, because um, the kingdom of God is one that is marked not in the way that many other kingdoms are. Many other kingdoms tend to be primarily about, mm, I don't know, the personal preferences of the leader, right? And yet the kingdom of God, as Paul writes it in the letter to Romans, he says the kingdom of God is one of righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is one lived out of a relationship with the king, a relationship that's made accessible to all people. The kingdom of God, as Paul puts it here, um, is one that is characterized by a place where you have the access to every spiritual blessing available in Christ. Now, I know this can be a little tricky and because Greek is kind of a weird language, but like when Paul says that you have access to every spiritual blessing in Christ, what he kind of actually means in the Greek is that you have access to every spiritual blessing in Christ. Like that's not a trick. He means everyone. He means that all of the love and life and joy and peace that is available in the cosmos can be yours in Jesus. That whatever it is that you're looking for deep down in your soul, that that is found in relationship with Jesus. Um, 
he then continues, right? He says that you were chosen to be holy, which just means set apart, right? Sometimes we think of that word holy and it means so many different things. It really just means set apart, chosen to be different, chosen to live in a different kind of way. So it's chosen to be holy and blameless in God's sight, that you freely are given grace. Grace is God's power at work in you to do what you could never do on your own by direct effort. It's not something you can earn. It's just God's gift to you. It says that God freely gives you grace. He offers you reconciliation, redemption, forgiveness of your sin. Right? That God forgives you of all the times that you miss the mark and that you know it. That's what sin is. It just means missing the mark. And that God is one of forgiveness. Right? He's one of grace. And that He's ultimately a God of redemption. That what God is doing is He's setting people free. I mean, it's what Paul literally came and embodied the message, right, is that he came preaching, teaching, and healing, and driving out demons, and, and healing the sick, and giving sight to the blind. This is, what, this is what the gospel does to people, is that when it invades a community, when, when people filled with the Holy Spirit invade a community, that that community changes, that people around, they start to take notice, and things start to change. And that's what we see happens here with Paul. Says that this God, He makes His will known, uh, and He gives us wisdom. He gives us power. He gives us love. He gives us self-control. See, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. It, it looks different than the way our world typically operates, because most of us were looking for these things, right? But we don't know where to get them, and so what do we do? We go to the buffet, and we grab whatever we think will fit, whatever we think will satisfy us. Except in the end, you know, like you realize that that buffet. You can't keep going back there. I had a friend when I lived in Columbus, Georgia. He, uh, we used to go to this, uh, this Chinese buffet that was ironically, I cannot make this up, ironically over top of a pet store. I don't know why. Uh, but we went there one night and he ate so much that later that night he woke up in the middle of the night like so thirsty. He had to go to the kitchen and like drink a gallon of water just to, to satiate us because that left him still feeling thirsty. Jesus says, my gospel does not leave you feeling thirsty. My gospel does not leave you feeling hungry. That when you come to me, you can, you can never need to go back to those drinks again that you needed before. That's the message of the kingdom. And that's what Paul is saying here, that there's a king in heaven and earth. He is available and accessible to you now. And that his kingdom is marked by grace and by redemption and by freedom and by life and by love and joy and peace. That's what his kingdom looks like. Keep in mind, Paul is writing this from a prison cell, which should tell us something. Again, no matter what your outward circumstances look like, there is a peace and a freedom that is available in Jesus right here, right now, right where you are. Now, Paul continues, this is more than that. What Jesus is doing, what the gospel is about, is about bringing you into a family. It's not about just doing some stuff for you and calling it good. It's, it's about bringing you into a relationship in the family. You see, God's primary concern is about you and how you turn out and how the world is turning out, right? God is not uninterested in that. He's not uh, primarily interested in just, you know, getting you in the back door to heaven. He wants a relationship with you, and he invites you into that. He's concerned about the redemption of the world and the state of his world. He's concerned about these things, and he invites us into it. And Paul put it like this. He said, you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the good news of your salvation. And when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And when we read that, you might not, ah, that might mean something to you and it might not. 
but what Paul is actually saying here, like quite literally, the language is a legal language. And what he's saying is that um, you've been given a down payment. That what Jesus does in giving you the Holy Spirit is basically a down payment of a future hope. And so we recognize that the gospel has many dimensions, right? Is that there is freedom from the shame and guilt of your past. There is a, a, a great future hope of an eternity with God and of the kingdom coming on earth as in heaven. And then, of course, is that present reality of where you are living in the midst of the kingdom, where you can have joy and peace and, and life in the, the course of your ordinary everyday life right here where you are. Uh, you can have freedom in this place and that the Holy Spirit, that very presence of God with you, that it's a down payment. Now, I don't know if you've ever owned a car or a house or anything else before and you've had to put a down payment down, maybe you had to finance it. That's okay. I remember when I bought my first car, it was a 2011 Subaru Outback and man, has a nice car. Uh, still a nice car. Still got it today. Doing great. Um, but I remember when I, when I went to get it, like I didn't have the money to just pay for it outright. So I had to finance it. And so what I had to do is I had to go and, you know, talk with a dealer and set up, you know, bank stuff, bank stuff, do all that, contracts, you know how it goes. And, and eventually you agree on like how much you're going to put down for the down payment. And then you put the down payment down, but technically you still don't own the car, right? The bank owns the car. They paid for it. They have the title, but who has the keys? Well, I had the keys. I put the down payment down. I got the keys. The incredible thing that Paul is saying is that Jesus puts the down payment down for you. He puts the down payment down on your car, but you know what he does? He gives you the keys. He says, here, now you drive. That's the message. That's what life looks like in the kingdom of God. That is the message that Paul is trying to communicate to these people in this city of Ephesus. But it, it gets better. I know you think that's, that's pretty good, but it gets better than that. Because um, as he continues on here, I think when we take a step back and we see that one of the amazing truths about this passage is that Paul is explaining that God chooses you. I think most of us have grown up, at least with this idea, uh, at least we're familiar with this idea, that maybe um, God loves you, but he doesn't particularly like you. You know, like if it's all said and done, I mean, he could, he could really take anybody. You know, like he, you're not that great. Like you're a sinner. We call this like Dallas Willard called this miserable sinner Christianity. And I know you've heard it, especially if you've ever been in East Tennessee before. It's that you are a miserable wretch of a person and God sends Jesus to pay your debt for sin, which you can never pay yourself. Um, and that uh, it's not really because he likes you. It's just because he's a big fan of Jesus and Jesus is a great guy. And that when Jesus pays your debt, then he kind of sneaks you in the back door to heaven, you know, because like the father is not really that interested. And, uh, and Jesus kind of knocks on the back door. And he says, hey, Peter, I got some more. Like, let's let him in. He says, don't tell dad. And he brings him in the back. But that's, right, that's not really the picture of the gospel. And yeah, it's a bit of a caricature, but we've all heard the, the truth and the kingdom explained in those ways, I think, is that um, God might love you, but he doesn't really like you. And I think one of the things that Paul is coming across here in this passage is that he says that, no, that God chooses you. He says it a lot. There's language about election, predestination. People get so weird about it and concerned about it. What's the point? The point is literally that God chooses you. That God is choosing you. He chooses you today. He chooses you in the midst of all your pain, in the midst of all your uncertainty, in the midst of all your mess and all your sin and all your muddle. He chooses you. But he doesn't just choose you. He chooses the other people with you. He chooses people who aren't even like you. 
He chooses people that don't like stuff that you like. He chooses people who don't have the same political persuasions that you have. He chooses people who don't even quite believe exactly the same thing that you do. Because really when it says that he chooses you, what Paul's really saying is, I'll translate that in the East Tennessee. He says he's choosing all y'all. He chooses the church. He chooses you. And and better than that, um, we're told this, that it is his good pleasure to do so. It pleases God to choose you. And so as we take a step back and we look at this picture, I think the the incredible truth that we see um, is that Paul is explaining that there is a king in heaven and on earth, a king who is better than the kings of this world, a king who would die for you for the forgiveness of your sins because his kingdom is one that is marked by forgiveness, by grace, by redemption, by reconciliation, by peace, and that he seals that promise to you with the presence of his, his very own presence, the Holy Spirit. That he extends that to you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you. You could live out of a relationship with him in the power of his Holy Spirit. That You could live a life characterized by love and joy, joy and peace patience and kindness and gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. I don't know what that noise was. I'm sorry. It just came out. Like you could live a life characterized by that fruit of the Holy Spirit, as Paul says, but that, but that all of this is possible, not because you chose God, but because God chose you. And he is choosing you. And he will choose you. It's an invitation into a relationship with him that no matter what our outward circumstances are, that we can trust that He is choosing you. He is inviting you in to relationship with Him. And so as we go on this journey over the next few months together, I just want us to keep that in mind. That at the very start of this, we remember that that all of this is possible. God is choosing you. That is incredibly good news. And no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, Jesus doesn't die for you once you get your act together. Jesus doesn't make this promise available to you once you've got everything figured out. Jesus doesn't wait for you to, you know, get that job or graduate from school or finally end that relationship. Jesus is inviting you now, right here, right now. The kingdom of God is at hand and the king of that kingdom dies for you for the forgiveness of your sins And he is raised to life to extend that same kind of life, that same kind of freedom to you in the course of your average, everyday life. That the hope that he has for you is that you would see the kingdom come in your life, in your family, in your work, in your school, in your thoughts, in your actions on earth as it is in heaven. And that God is choosing you to be a part of his strategy of redeeming the world. God chooses you, strategically placed you right where you are to extend his kingdom, his rule and reign just one more inch further. Friends, that's good news. And I think that's encouraging for me. I hope it's encouraging for you too. And so I'd like to pray for you today as we close out this time together. Um, And just say, if there's anything that you need prayer for, I mean, reach out. You can comment on this if you'd rather it be more... um, confidential. You can send us an email. You can DM. Just just let us know how we can pray for you. Uh, and it's our pleasure to do it. It's God's pleasure to, to live in relationship with you, to choose you, and to invite you into relationship with himself. And so I'd like to pray for you today as we close out. If you would, let's, let's pray. Um, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. There's a down payment, a guarantee of your, your life with us, not only a future life to come, but a life with you in the present. We thank you for your love, and we thank you for King Jesus. 
who walked and he taught and he lived as one of us in every way, except he did not sin. He did not miss the mark. He hit the mark exactly as it needed to be. We thank you for that grace and we thank you that uh, he would die for us, not when we're at our best, but when we're at our worst. And to extend that life and that freedom to us in the course of our average everyday life. For anyone who's maybe hearing this and struggling with what that means for their life, or maybe just opening up the idea of Jesus and a relationship with Him, God, I ask that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. Lead them to you. Open them up to your good news. Open them up to a relationship with you. And for any of those who may, um, who may be just struggling to live out this kingdom life in the course of their everyday life, who are wondering what next steps to take, or or maybe what this looks like in the midst of a pandemic or civil unrest or racism or um, natural disasters or politics and elections and trying to figure out how to integrate everything. God, I pray that you would give them your peace. You would fill them with your life and your presence and your light, your joy and your, 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 just your kingdom, that your kingdom would be realized in the course of their everyday life. God, we thank you. Uh, we bless you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey guys, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedules um, just to stop in and, and, and spend some time setting your mind on things above. Um, if there's anything that we can do to serve you, any way that we can help out, please do let us know. Uh, again, you can reach out and contact us in a lot of different ways like you heard. Um, that said, man, I, I love you guys, praying for you. Um, just know that I'm for you. God is for you. God chooses you. Even when you think you've messed up pretty bad, God is choosing you, and it's his good pleasure to do so. Um, so y'all take care. Have a great week. Make a great day. And we'll catch you back in a slightly different location next week. See you then.